Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we talk about the Goldilocks problem, the balance between being prescriptive and flexible, or sometimes you might think of it as a service versus a platform problem. And we have a really uh, robust discussion. Uh, James Urquhart uh, is coming in and visiting, who has studied this problem exhaustively with a lot of experience in the industry. And he shares his experiences back with Cloud Foundry, VMware, Amazon. Um, and we have a really dynamic conversation about trying to find the right balance between building it yourself in a very toolkit approach where you can do anything you want, but you have to build it one off and a more service approach where you actually have more prescriptive known ways to handle things. And the challenge always is that we have to balance the prescriptive and the flexible. And the Goldilocks problem is that there needs to be some middle zone where you have enough of each in it to create that sustainability. And we talk about how challenging it is to find the right balance here and how different uh, processes have done it in industry. And that conversation, because it's a challenging topic, stretches for the whole time. Uh, I know you will learn a lot in how we think about systems and design systems. It's a really valuable conversation and I know you will enjoy it. It's interesting. It's an interesting industry right now, right? It's it's interesting in that there's the public cloud or bust religion has been busted a little bit, <laughs> right? And uh, although I still think over the long, long term, it's gonna kind of all go there. The vast majority will go there, but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, certainly it was gonna take thirty or forty years at least for you know the things like governance to be worked out and things like you know all kinds of stuff. So what I'm seeing now is that a resurgence, an interesting resurgence in the infrastructure industry that's based in part on embracing public cloud, mm -hmm. right? So right now, if you look at um, NetApp and you look at, um, and not NetApp, it's not the right one, I'm thinking, the, the storage company. Okay. Um, uh, SolidFire? No, that's, that's no, still NetApp. Net, Cohesity? Because, no, because it's Net something. Anyway, big company. I, I don't remember. I'll, I'll look it up. But uh, But there's a bunch of companies that have kind of rework their stuff to be multi-cloud, okay. right? Even even physical, even physical layer folks are kind of rework their stuff to be, well, we have a management layer that lets our stuff seamlessly blend in with whatever you're using elsewhere, right? Makes sense. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, a very, we're a very similar story from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and which is, you know, which is awesome. I mean, it, 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 AWS and Google and Microsoft, all three seem to have embraced that this is the way, at least for a while, right? And we haven't that they haven't invented enough technology to displace any of this yet. So I, I, I feel like they have to decide between building blocks and services. Um, between that, building blocks and services, yeah. Well, I building think blocks or services, like so, it, yeah, are yeah, they? Yeah. Because right, you're you're exactly right. I see it too. It's you know people are showing up and saying, "All right, I if you rent me infrastructure, <laughs> I can build really interesting things with it." Not that different than what I used to do. Yeah. Maybe even easier. And 
or you know I can climb into the, into the providers thing and they're basically a giant platform. Look, I mean, I've seen the biggest proponents of serverless, the biggest, like, why would you do anything else other than functions as a service and, and public cloud services, right? Okay. Start saying, yes, containers have a place. Like, I was shocked to see not very long ago. They're like, we don't use a lot of them, but when we talk to others, there's some really compelling cases in places that they don't affect us, but there are use cases out there where containers make more sense, right? And so as I see that situation, then I go, okay, what that's telling me is, well, first of all, we knew that software architecture was going to be complex anyway, right? There's just no way around it. But um, what that what that begins to mean to me is that, to your point, there's a services element of this, right? The, and I think AWS is buying into this, is they're starting to say, you know what, it's not the technology adoption that's the most important thing. We have to provide the best service that we have to want. You have to want to come to us and consume our stuff. So we have to make it cheaper and better to consume our stuff. And for a long time, they got away with the agility thing until on-premises stuff got agile. And now they have to start saying, well, now we just have to be a better service. Like we have to take advantage of economies of scale. We have to integrate our stuff better than we've integrated our stuff before. And they're behind on that story. So that's well, okay. The, the latter thing is the place where I, yeah, I scratch my head. They haven't invested no, they, anything. In AWS, it. especially like Google, you look at like, there's a number of, there's a, there's a small camp of us who kind of go, look, if I was starting a business, I'd probably go to Google only because the integration and the concepts that they have there, they don't have all the right. services they want, but they, the services they do have that are critical are great. Well, the data ones, the data ones are great. The data ones are great. The other ones are adequate. The other ones are com commodity. They're adequate. But um, but what I but but the usability is ten times better than the Amazon usability experience. But on the uh, other hand, is, the ecosystem around Amazon is about ten times larger than the ecosystem around Google. So, you know, those are the trade offs that you look at. But this is, but this, another ahead, data Rocky. point. Another data point. A friend who was Netflix, just retired, pretty much said that even Netflix didn't have, didn't get good customer service from Amazon because they weren't big enough. Netflix <laughs> wasn't big enough to get Amazon's attention. Which is funny because the reason they hired Adrian was because the Netflix story was the story that opened the the opened the door and the eyes to the, yeah, the advantage of AWS <laughs> over. But, but hold on though, who would get good service? I mean, this is going to play back to the same question I was going to ask about the lack of integration in these platforms, right? Is there anybody, like if, if Netflix can't get good service, can anybody get good service? Is it, is it just they can't provide, you know, the way they've structured the platform. The Intel so community has the their own. The Intel community has their own AWS, right? The AWS runs a chapter of AWS for the Intel community. If you're big enough and have enough dollars flowing, absolutely, you can get phenomenal. You can get dedicated staff. Yeah, but, and Netflix wasn't getting the uh, technology they needed 
because they weren't big enough, even though they were pushing for specific requirements and could give them literally if they wanted the software to do what they needed to do. But Amazon wasn't interested. No, listen, Amazon, that's the one, that's my one big negative with Amazon is the, because of the business model, it drives an odd invent. It actually drives an odd invented here mentality because you declare what you're going to build in great detail before you build it. So unless you happen to declare to declare something you can acquire or consume, then then you're not going to get what you want if you, that through that method. So you might as well build it. And that goes for things like your Kubernetes service and for Fargate and for things like that. Yeah. Right. The, it's it's not the it's not the software that enables the stuff to run that they're defining. It's the service they want to deliver that they're defining. And so they have to build the software or adapt any software that they consume to be to, to fit the service that they're they're delivering. And to the, the you know, service isn't just customer service. Right. You were talking about like the the total end-to-end customer consumption experience of using one of these utilities um, in AWS. But you're right, Rocky. I think one, one of the things mm. that's really interesting is that, um, you know, another complaint area you see a lot around all the public clouds is customer, customer support still not, still not great, right? It's, it's an awful lot of, if you're a developer who, who's fine with banging your head against the wall until you figure something out and using Stack Overflow and all that stuff, the public cloud is awesome. But if you're an enterprise that's looking for, hey, can we? what can we do to make sure that this gets tweaked so that we can meet a compliance objective, um, then the level of service that you get is going to be highly dependent on the volume of dollars you're willing to shove at Amazon's way. But but hold hold on a second because I I think there's a structural question for me okay. that you were you were highlighting and I, it's it's around what what service and support means because mm-hmm. there's no doubt you can pay enough money to throw bodies at at a support problem right that's different than you know what you were describing there's there's no um, product definition for integrated across different components yeah. of AWS. And that, by the way, that's one of the reasons AWS's business problem is the business model is a problem. In addition to the non-invented here, the other piece of it is, is they they drive Conway's law, right? If you add, right, what was Jeff's edict early on in the days of Amazon that everybody knows and loves? Every organization has to have an interface. They are built around Conway's law. And so you get into a situation where unless the groups are well integrated, there's no integration between their services. And every once in a while, Charlie Bell has to put his foot down in an operations meeting. Or well, he isn't there anymore, but whoever is there now. But Charlie used to do this when I was there. Put his foot down in an operations meeting and say, engineering, why can't we just hook A to B? using this you know this file format or this protocol or whatever why why is it so hard why do people have to write functions or write whatever in order to integrate two of our own services and people go you're right you're you know we'll go back we'll we'll talk about that we'll come back with a plan for how to address it right um that was how those problems got solved when it when it became a problem 
or if a customer came to them and they are very customer centric. So if a customer or enough customers came to them and said, A needs to integrate with B, this is ridiculous. Then they would say, okay, we'll make that a priority. And it'd be done next week. It'd be done very quickly. So let me, let me do a, this is more of a Thursday type top question, but it's worth it where, from where you are now. Is this cloud one O and, and, Knowing what we know now, you could you would actually build an integrated service that that and I, I granted I know there's second system problems all over the place so this is, we're going to need a third version of this <laughs> but that actually understands which services are important and where the integration pieces need to be instead of the um, I mean because Amazon has a cultural resistance to building a unified platform together. Um, well, so, and I don't think anybody's done a good job of it out of any service provider, right? We're actually seeing the opposite yeah. where we're seeing more um, elemental cloud infrastructures pop up and fewer, you know, massive service. You know, people aren't chasing, in my opinion, aren't chasing Amazon to have more services than Amazon. They're competing by having elemental components that customers hook together. Well, and that's so it's really powerful that, you, that that's exactly kind of the point I was going to make. Look, there's two ways to answer that question, and really, so if you remember, like like there's you know there's application platform and infrastructure, right? So if you look at those layers, there's two of those layers where that problem can get solved. One is at the platform layer that the platform makes it really integrate to the services that are part of the platform. And my argument would be that Amazon will solve that problem at a way that's satisfactory enough to their customers before you could build a business that could displace Amazon, right? Like, they're going to, through evolution, get to the point where that problem is solved before you could throw enough money at the problem to build something that would compete and disrupt them. Uh, so, unless they have a cultural bias against it. No, but but yes. even if they have a customer bias against it, their customers are going to constantly drag them kicking and screaming in the right direction. The one thing about Amazon is, is they may not be great at holistically coming together for the customer, but but integration point by integration point as customers scream for it, they're going to go solve it, right? So they're going to evolve to that point. But the other layer is to do it at the application layer. And that's where things like what we're doing at VMware and, you know, some of the other platform stuff, things that are out there, Anthos and um, Red Hat for sure, right? Some of the, the low code environments for specific niches, right? We're going to solve that integration problem by saying, well, you know, your application does X. At this point in the application, it consumes the database. At this point in the problem, you know, it, it has to have some network configuration to connect that database to where. But um, so the configuration of the application has to declare that, right? And you're going to do all that in terms of how you declare your app, and you're going to handle the integration sort of at that layer. Um, and if you're going multi-cloud, that's the only way to do it, unless the major cloud providers all get together and say, we're going to make integrating across clouds public. Now, I'm not saying that each application runs on multiple clouds, but I am saying that as you run a portfolio of applications and you acquire companies and all that, you're going to run into situations where application A needs to be able to get data from somehow from the data system on this other cloud over here. And so there's an integration problem that's easier to solve at the application layer for sure. 
than it is to do uh, to, to ask the service providers to do that integration for you. It it is ex- it is, and there's a element of you actually still have to build the infrastructure behind that application layer to do that type of system. Well, yeah, right. So so this is where the opportunities for like direct connect networking between clouds and you know, I, I at some point the pr- the pressure for things drives the cloud providers to do things you would never ever believe that they would do like prior to that pressure <laughs> place right? like so, running vmware on all their infrustructure right and that's the same thing right you have vmware it's a really fun time to be at vmware because you have vmware there this is their depending on who you talk to third or fourth major reinvention of themselves right yeah. and one of the big things is that's really interesting is vsphere still a major major money maker obviously huge giant important commodity frankly in the industry that we get to you know to make some money off of but um but nobody is betting on a strategy that says we're going to build a cloud story that's entirely requires vSphere nobody right. anymore right because because you know in, in this you know in a similar way we we've sort of said look it's right now it's the application layer where the chance to compete with the large public cloud providers exists. It's, you know, even networking, even even data, all of that is providing a service on your data center to compete in some ways or or, or complement what you're, what's going on in public cloud, depending on how you look at it. But um, like, you know, so all the networking stuff, all the, um, all, all the data center stuff is now really about building a, set of services that are your on-premises cloud service set right and then there's the then there's an api layer and you know kubernetes api is one of them for sure and there's maybe a few other api layer stuff and then all the application platform stuff starts on top of that right and that becomes a set of services that you're delivering for path to production and that set of services is where a lot of the opportunity right now is, is to add value on top of any one of those underlying infrastructure, you know, underlying services mm-hmm. that provide. Well, and, and to me, part of what you just described is the way in which the market competes with Amazon. So bringing up Amazon, bringing up, you know, another hundred services into their catalog has diminishing returns when somebody can replicate the service experience using a Helm chart. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that, and that's what the, I think. Yes. That in fact, I, this is one of the things that is evidence to me of how not invented here. Amazon is, is the fact that they haven't acquired Hashi. Because for that, because they could solve a huge amount of their, problems in terms of encouraging people to yes be multi-cloud but make sure your data makes your way to amazon because that's really right that's a data gravity is Amazon's strategy and so they could do a lot of that if they simply said um we're going to provide something that is actually multi-cloud and it's going to be something you use <laughs> it's something you use today and that you depend on from an application delivery perspective and data delivery perspective. And like, you know, you could certainly look at acquiring VMware, but there's a whole bunch of baggage that goes with that. You could look at acquiring Red Hat, but there's a whole bunch of 
baggage that goes with that. But hash is a nice clean, There's nice a clean hash. bubble to go consume to solve Red that hash. problem. Somebody just somebody just wrote a nice article about. Um, hold on, I'll put it in the channel about uh, how uh, HashiCorp is is built, burning a lot of cash to try and build a, plat- a platform, which they aren't at the moment. Um, they're, sorry, they're not currently a, a platform. They're a group of tools that could become a platform. Well, um, like it goes to their strategy. Their strategy is weird because they declare their strategy one way and then I see them execute it a different way. They declare their strategy as we're going to define the process and then you can choose the tools you want to plug into the process. Yeah. When in fact, what I see their actual strategy is being, we're going to build a bunch of tools that you can plug into whatever process you happen to have, which may also allow you to plug other tools into the into our tools in order to round it all out. But we're going to we're going to coordinate major parts of the um, of the application delivery process as components that you can consume and choose. So you're bringing up something, and and everybody, I hope we're we're. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I took Rocky, you guys off Rocky, topic. Well, I I, this. I, this is we were going to talk, and I'm expecting we will talk about open open confidential computing uh, or confi- <laughs> confidential computing. But um, one of the people we we're hoping to join us couldn't come, so um, I'm happy to. Eat into this conversation because I think this is really interesting. And you're hitting on a a, a, to- a conversation I was having earlier when I was calling the Goldilocks platform problem. Because <laughs> um, we see this all the all the time mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with with our with what we do and what our and our platform. Um, people want an opinionated solution that works. Right. And so they'll say, you know what, I, I, it just needs to work out of the box. It has to do all this stuff. Just need it to, to, ha- to happen. And then it, then they'll, and then in, in the, in, and then in the next sentence, they'll say, and it also has to be flexible, flexible enough that I can add my own special sauce. <laughs> and, and these are both true statements, right? You don't want to have to make it up. You're preaching my and, language, man. You're preaching my life. I hear you. It's, so, but here, here's the, so there's a Goldilocks region in, in this where the, the platform has to do enough out of the box mm-hmm. and in an opinion enough way that you don't have to make it up. Right. Um, right. Like, and I would argue Terraform is that like, that's, we have a whole bunch of tools like Ansible and Terraform that are not that at all. They're on the other side of this, which is it has to be an open enough sandbox that I can morph it into whatever I need. But right. once you've done that, you've created the, the tool literally walks you into bespokeness that is not repeatable at all, even within the same, like the discipline it takes to make uh, a tool repeatable is really high. But, and so there's a Goldilocks, there should be a Goldilocks region in it. But every conversation I have, the, the gold, there is no Goldilocks region. Okay, so let me let me tell you how we attack this because this is, by the way, because on my Instratus, right? Let's so my Instratus yeah. experience, just to put it on the table, was we went out. You know, I I talked to George. I'm, we're talking cloud computing at the time. IaaS was everything in cloud, right? It was the big deal, and we're like, yeah, you know. And I, I'm talking to George. I really like his philosophy about how he wants to ta- how he's attacking the problem, and I'm like, you know, George. Um, I really like, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think, you know, build something that's really, truly multi-cloud VM, commo- make VMs commodity across clouds, right? All of that stuff. Yep. So I joined the company, I take over product. We start building out what is this the most amazing user interface for this purpose, right? We 
we narrowed down the number of clouds we support because we were supporting supporting 26 just because George ran some <laughs> tests against some APIs and they worked, right? Remember those um, days. And then we do real engineering, finally build a really beautiful product, good enough that Dell is like, oh my God, yeah, that's that fits our the spot that we're the box that we were trying to fill and all that stuff. Right. But here's the problem. The problem was um uh uh the, the, the problem was very much that we had built something that was very kind of narrow and niche and specific to the process of, of allocating VMs. And so while operations looked at that and said, oh, my God, we want that because we want to be a part of the public cloud conversation, too. They were the buyer, but they weren't the end user. And the end user mm. would come back and say, yeah, that's nice. But look what Amazon gives me. Look what Microsoft gives me. Right. So we had built the perfect tool for the operations community that we were talking to that had the money and we would sell the first year subscription almost every single time and we would almost never get a renewal, huh. right? So the, the story of this is I came out of that and said, okay, so what, what really has to happen is you have to have evolution in a platform. You can't just solve a problem super well with super opinionated approach. Um, but at the same time, you can't just give people a box of parts. We knew that from for a variety of reasons, right? We so to your point, right? If you just give people a box of parts, and so while I was at Amazon and working on the problem I was working there, um, it came to me and came to a couple of us at the same time that we're like, you know, what you really need is you need a box of parts, but you don't sell the box of parts. You build solutions with the box of parts, and you sell solutions. Yeah that the user can then go break glass and rearrange things and whatever way they want to with the box of parts to, to fit exactly what they need. And that's what we built with TAP. That's the entire philosophy between Tanzu application platform is exactly that. Underneath, it's really just a, you know, it's a, it's a supply chain manager and a bunch of parts and pieces it's a it's a user interloop it's a developer interloop experience with ide plugins and and this, things like this that. is the pipeline concept to me this right. is one of the reasons why what we're what we're doing to right. be described as a pipeline because you right. need to have an a start you know you need a start and end and then you're going to hang things into it you're going to extend the number of steps in the pipeline or branch it but yeah yeah no and so and the the analogy i use i worked in uh, document management software for a while i was at alfresco for about six months and uh, every single customer that we sold to, uh, let me put it this way. I know of zero customers of any size that took Alfresco as is out of the box, installed it, and just used it like that. Right. Every single customer customized their document management system in some way, shape, or form to meet specific needs that they had around document management. In the same way, what Cloud Foundry taught us was we could build the most amazing 12-factor application engine ever built on the planet. We proved it. It, you know, it's fundamental to a huge number of Fortune 500 companies, global 2000s. Um, it's a you know 600 million dollar plus a year business um, today, even even with all the shifting that's going on. Yeah. Um, but the customers that use it for an extended period of time are like, it's too opinionated. So we built this incredibly well-working opinionated system that solves every problem you can imagine around networking, around secret management, you know, you name it, it's all there. 
and um, it, it's not customizable, or right? it can't be adapted. And so, um, yeah. what TAP does is we're going to go out, we're going out there and saying, "Yep, here's a fully adaptable path to production for 12-factor apps. Here's another fully adaptable um, for uh, machine learning applications. Right? Here's another for whatever." And those are the things we're going to sell you. And then, uh, but ultimately, what you're going to get is the ability to then turn around and say, well, let me look at what you gave us and how can we add it something here or remove something there or change the criteria for accepting this step, you know, the output of this step or whatever it is to our needs. Essentially, reference verticals made out of uh, uh, your commodity uh bits and parts and then helping them differentiate within their vertical yeah yeah and right now i'd say the state that we're in today is we're looking at classes of application architectures because of the deployment differences based on those architectures however i rocky i think spot on in the sense that in the long term i think what we expect is that they will be Various compliance regimes will have specific offerings. <clears throat> Maybe um, various forms of industrial integration um, supply, you know, very like industrial supply chains might have solutions for things that take into account um, how you're exchanging events or or sending files or whatever. Right? There's there are things that come into play. Then and you kind of go. What I need is my path to production to be smart enough to stop me from, well, every every path to production has to do things. It has to remove toil and remove risk. It has to do both yeah. of those things. Yeah. And so, um, so for this industry, what does that mean? For this use case, what does that mean? So, and to the so providing extent, the guardrails as a service. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and that's really, so we'll provide a set of guardrails to start, but we know and to, the, to go back to my original point about document management, every single customer is going to customize. It's every going. single yep. customer is going to customize what we give them. Every single one. That's right. And it and that's that is the norm, right? This is it's not the the challenge is does the customer and this this to me is part of the Goldilocks problem. Does the customization pull you out of being a product or a platform? If right, ideally the customization keeps you on target as something. And the, so this to me is where all the DevOps, the chefs, the puppets, the Ansibles, Terraforms go completely off the rails. If, if you do good work in those, in those tools, it does not come back. There is no good way to make it part of the community again. Or if there mm -hmm. is, it's very expensive for you. Mm -hmm. and, and to me, the thing that would get you in the Goldilocks zone is if your work and influence back to reduce toil in the community. Right. Martez, so, James, I, you had I said to, you I had to, to go and I hate to do this, guys, but it's yeah, it's actually half past. I got to drop from my from my other thing. Hey, thanks for joining. Now you can go to your original topic. Up. But no, um, I, I'd love to hear more <laughs> from folks about this too. So if you want to reach out to me, feel free. But um, but this is, I think, the fundamental. This is a fundamental differentiator in, in some ways for what I'm doing. And this is the thing I encourage everybody that says, okay, you're gonna do a platform. Well, this is the way you have to think about it because otherwise I have, you know, just think power builder. 
Like, I'll just leave you guys with that. Like, just if you knew, if you use Power Builder, if you remember Power Builder, it dominated. And why did it not succeed more than five years? Well, you know, it's pretty obvious when you, in the light of this conversation and analyze what they did. What you, they you and I need to, should, to talk one-on-one, James, because yeah. I think we might finally be at a point where our, our interests intersect enough that we could build on each other's work. No, that'd be great. I would love to um, reach out. I'll definitely talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks for being there. <clears throat> so I think the, the key here, Rob, is uh-huh. that VMware has all those blocks, building blocks. And what they've learned over the decades is each different community wants their own opinionated platform. And VMware knows enough that it's if they stand up uh, an opinionated platform for a specific vertical and provide their building blocks and a little bit of help on how to take it to the next step, then they can use the same box of, of tools for any vertical they want or create the few extra tools they need for the various verticals or for all the verticals. And it gives them both the opinionation and the generic platform all at once. And that's actually what they're looking for, I think, and what James is going for. And so that allows all these different companies, uh, especially enterprise companies who don't have a lot of resources compared to these gigantic corporations to stand up quickly and then uh, customize. But uh, to me, there's there's something that James and I sort of glossed over, James glossed over, which is a patterns emerging type of, of statement. Well, um, they're, they're creating pattern for each different vertical, which is but, the opinionation for that particular vertical. And like he said, the guardrails, um, well, the guardrails, those are the extra little bits and pieces, the value add for each vertical that you don't figure out until you've actually made a few sales into the vertical. But, but you don't have to figure them out if you provide the solutions engineers to help you feedback into the company. I, but I go back to like the LAMP stack. Yep. And, and I still don't think there's quite a cloud equivalent to the LAMP stack. No, but I think what James is saying is that VMware is going to be most likely the company that finds it because of how they're addressing multiple verticals. They uh, they certainly have an opportunity to do it. They they have the inertia of a big organization who has to be willing to um, say no to... to, And um, the other key (laughs) they have is their management. It's an engineering company. They solve problems. It's not a bean counter or sales company. So the fact that they're allowed to solve problems means that they might that they have a better chance of of doing it than some of these other companies. HashiCorp, though, is also an engineering company. Yay! HashiCorp's <laughs> engaged in a, in a lot of in a lot of this. I I think there's there's two sides to it. One is, are you promoting the pattern, or are you 
you know, being part of helping companies define the path. And, um, yeah. and so the, the key is that they're doing it the other way. They're talking to companies and finding out what those companies' patterns are and seeing how their stuff matches. And they talk to enough different companies in the same vertical to find a pattern as opposed to building on one company's impression of what, what it should be. So they have enough breadth of customers to actually find the pattern as opposed to just standing up an individual solution for every customer. They, they do. Um, that's a whole interesting. And, and I just saw an ad for Cisco's new thing. And Cisco is the same way. They have enough customers that they've come up with uh, patterns. Now they're, they're trying to push their patterns for end to end security. It's built into their platform. So their containers have the, the uh, already have the security. All you do is develop applications and it's already secure according to their, uh, that's what they're trying to sell right now. Right. Definitely playing on the fear, fear side of it. I think there's a, a lot at play um, from the, from the VMware side. I think VMware still has the perception challenge uh, of even like, we've seen this pattern probably the last five, 10 years plus or whatever of VMware tries to get closer to the developer never really seems to work out like how they planned it to work out. Uh, and, and I think you're always going to have some people that are, are reluctant or reticent to go into a, a quote unquote new area with a, a player that they've known and potentially loved in a different space, similar to whether it's a, the NetApps of the world trying to effectively reinvent themselves or Riverbed or, or Cisco or some of these, these other companies where I've known them as X and they're trying to tell me that they're Y and it, and it just doesn't necessarily jive. Um, and I think the other thing from the, the platform standpoint um, is Customers are, are always going to want some level of customization and are really finicky, but will always tell you that they want some, some content, whatever it ends up being, the platform can do it, or in the case of like a configuration management or infrastructure as code, they want ready-made content ready to go, but then they'll tell you it doesn't quite meet their use case and now they've got to do some extensibility. So I think that's just one of those nature of the beast that I think the industry is still trying to wrap their head around. Well, my experience is that you definitely have to have things that work out of the box before people can customize them. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's, and, that's definitely the uh, VMware's uh, since they're, they're doing it per vertical. So they're, they're having, they're opinionating multiple different ways. You can pick how you want your platform opinionated before you even start customizing. So it's the eighty or nine. It's the ninety percent solution, mm -hmm. and that's I, that's what a lot of. And the interesting thing is, over time, you get you know you keep building. This was James' point about evolution. You keep building on the platform. So if if you're listening and you're you're responding, then ideally you're going to get closer and closer and closer on on what that looks like. It can be yeah. hard though because platforms have a lot of inertia. And yeah, so, so that's why he pointed out Power Builder. Well, I would argue yeah. you don't get closer. 
Mm. I say that from an automation standpoint because the the finish line keeps moving. You huh. you take a look at what we're doing yeah. from a container standpoint with the okay. the the emphasis. Well, let's say within the last six to twelve months on secure supply chain, there are new projects, new capabilities steadily churning out in terms of that. So what's happening is literally the the finish line just keeps moving. Like you're not actually getting closer. You're you're kind of just standing still, but just moving along. <laughs> You're running as fast as you can to stand still. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And, and I think oh. you you mentioned a, a company that was attacking the prob- problem from a process perspective. And I think that there are, are two aspects to that. One is there are people who are process engineers as opposed to uh, product or blocks and building blocks engineers. And those process engineers optimize process. And so it's like, what what do we plug in here so that the process is smoother or faster or more efficient? And so in some ways that satisfies an area where uh, there are different thinkers, but in other ways it is solving the problem from a different direction of approaching it from the process and and then going out and finding we used to go out and find out find off the shelf components that would fit our process and so we would since there's so many people building building blocks a process company can sit there and optimize process and come up with uh, a process based platform set if you will that's built off of whatever building block happens to be the most effective for that particular uh twist in the process what what you're describing is an ecosystem okay. uh right. consider it chemical engineering uh <laughs> Literally, it's like there are lots of problems that you can't solve, but you have to build this huge amount, immense factory uh, based on what you want the outcome of the the product to be. So it's lots and lots of plumbing and other things, but it's the process that it takes that that uh, you figure out what process you need to to step through that defines how you put those pipes together and other. Yeah, but, and but plus the, this is, but this is, I guess, a part of my point is chemical engineering is really, you know, sort of a good example. It's once you've built those, that process, it's, inc- it can be, inc- it's incredibly hard <laughs> One to, to tweak it. And, you know, it's why pipelines maybe are good or not as good an analogy as pipelines we're building are pretty fungible. Once you've and, got that process but if you look going, at chemical engineering. One of the cool things about it is they literally design these big, huge things so they can actually swap out bits and pieces or change the flow fairly quickly. I mean, downtime of a month or two to totally re rearchitect to create a new product at a massive scale. And they use all the same components. It's just that they they pipe them differently. 
Well, that becomes the question of the devil being in the details. Are those components built for that specific use case? To, I think to Rob's point, an ecosystem, which becomes slightly different than I find a pipe on the street and now <laughs> I'm going to try to fit it in there. It's, it's all plumbing. And, and so that, I think, becomes the differentiation. And I think a lot of but, products and platforms. Yeah, and, but and so in, in chemical engineering, it's the building block. So there's a cracker. Well, is this cracker sufficient for our new product, uh, our new product? Well, if it's not, you have to build a new cracker, but if, if it is, uh, you just plumb it in differently. And so there's always an awareness of what building blocks we have and what new building blocks do we need to add in? So it's a customization issue. And, and they, they use you know, 90% of the same things, but if the product is vastly new or requires different uh, different pressures or temperatures to get done what they need to do, then they have to create that new building block. And in most instances, they're not going to create a building block that is only single purpose. They create a building block that, oh, we've got these specifications because this is part of the process so we can if we ever see that again, we can use that same building block again. Mainly because it takes so long to create a building block. Yeah, and I think that's the, the challenge the industry is at now, especially with the proliferation yep. of open source tools where this open source tool pops up, that open source tool pops up and everybody's trying to integrate it into a pipeline or whatever it might be. Yes. And, and how do I, do I, do I make it the interface flexible enough so where pretty much everything fits inside or do i make it more tailored to a set of use cases and that's where it becomes really challenging to try and figure out what to include out of the box or, or what becomes custom and what that interface looks like right right oh. and most open source uh building blocks like that are not designed to be extensible readily extensible and that's a key it's that, very hard it's like understanding your building block well enough to to design it such that it can be extensible in reasonable ways but you're just putting out the basics right now actually from an open source perspective i think platforms are incredibly hard to build yes for the whole for the reasons that we've been naming because for a platform to really grow it has to um, consolidate and incorporate the uses of the of the platform into you know handy um, modules, a library. But this is, I'm just I'm reflecting on this and on on our journey with with what we what we built with Digital Rebar and, and how the making the core open was not as useful as making the ecosystem open. Mm. Um, because yeah. right, we we were act by by not by by trying to lock up the reusable components, we were literally oh. having people defeat the value of the platform mm. by not participating in the platform's community. Yes. Which which is like so so the, the value of the, the platform has to be open, right? We've and or open's the wrong word, extensible, you know, flexible. Yes. Handle customers' unique use cases and you have to show up with enough out of the box functionality that People can either see how they should do it or literally just it just solves their immediate problem. Yeah. And if ideally those 
the out of the box capabilities are built the same way the customer would build their extensibility. It makes that that onboarding process a lot easier in most cases. Oh yeah. And that's where good solution architects become priceless because they bring that information back into the company. It's also one of those interesting cases where the overhead of the platform um, can get in the way of those same solution architects because sometimes people turn around and be like, okay, instead of investing in the platform, I'll just wire together the things that I need for myself and not not participate, not not pay the overhead of, yes. of having a platform involved. And this this to me is the danger because the unless the toil reduction pattern of bringing in outside collaboration, I keep coming back to collaboration as being important. Unless that and that unless that that is a routine happening, then you're not. You know, you, you do have a like, oh, I'll just build it myself um, balance where because there's a there's a cost for, for doing that, too. You might you might have things that you are relying on that get rewritten or changed or modified. You have to always be paying part of that collaboration tax to the platform and the community around the platform. This is where open source is a great model. Yes, but it's also a great example of how you can shoot yourself in the foot because uh, with open source, you can have, well, especially today with the corporate open source, you have a single company that's driving most of it and controls most of the input. So if you're an outlier, getting what you need can be uh extremely time consuming and difficult. So that tax is huge. Whereas if your, your user community is for a specific product and you have a profit-driven corporation, they're going to listen to the community more. And so when everybody all the users come together and bitch. They might not create any software, but you at least know what they're bitching about and what to add to 2.0. Right. Well, and they they also they also have a platform propagation benefit. If you know this is this goes to what James was saying about AWS, even though there's a whole bunch of individual teams, if the platform's not working, then and the you know they'll listen to the customers and fix the platform. Yes. Right. Well, so they'll listen to the customers if enough customers, if uh, having a problem, actually, it's probably more along the lines of an outside customer says it than an inside customer says. And when the inside customer says it gets fixed. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, that's what customer driven means. Yeah. <laughs> And the, the, you know the interesting thing to me is in an open source environment, sometimes that you know sometimes a small customer can solve a problem, but sometimes they don't have the resources to you know the the cost of fixing a platform problem without a consideration of the number of people who can be broken by it is a really sensitive thing. 
if that makes yes. sense. That's a, I give this a lot of thought. Um, some of it goes back to my crowbar days. And we used to have, um, Suso would work on, they were in Europe, so they would work on at stuff, add features and things like that. And then when we showed up, they'd commit their, their work. And then when we would show up, um, we'd find all sorts of broken stuff because they only cared about Suso. And we right. cared about Red Hat and Canonical too. And so um, it, there, was a, there was definitely a collaboration cost to maintaining a neutral platform or a, a multifaceted platform. Um, and I don't think that's, you know, I don't fault SUSE for it. I actually fault our build, not having a good build system to be able to give them the feedback that they were, they had things that weren't, weren't working. Um, and yeah. I also think it's a natural behavior in, in how these, in how systems, you know, how platforms have to fit together to super hard. Um, I think that that's some of the challenge we're going to see, in my opinion, more and more as more organizations start to talk about and, and tinker with the idea of multi-cloud, um, mm. which is, is foolish in my opinion, but if companies willing to throw money at it, but it's hard enough to get one cloud right, let alone <laughs> two or three. <laughs> and, and then trying to maintain tooling and, and platforms that support the various clouds and trying to get it to a level of parity. And of course, everybody still probably wants the, uh, I want to be able to say, I want server or this resource and it automatically abstracts and handles the underlying cloud constructs. And it's like, that's never going to happen. Like you're, you're kind of missing the point of the value of cloud in some cases, if that's what you want. Yeah. yeah these are definitely. So do you, do you think, cause I guess, when I look at multi-cloud, I, I'm starting to hear edge in this. Mm -hmm. um, not just, you know, hey, I need something that's across three infrastructures. I need something that's, you know, uh, distributed and potentially built in environments where I, I need a presence, but I don't have my preferred provider. Do you, do you see that creeping into the definition of multi-cloud? I think it's getting there. I think people still more often than not put that to the side because we've, I think most people never called doing all of that quote unquote on-prem hybrid cloud to where I've got my, my data center and then I've got some edge locations. I don't think most people thought about that as hybrid cloud. Um, so I think it usually depends on where your focus is at. If you have a focus, it, on the edge specifically, I think you start to include that as well. I think, but just generally, I think we just think of that as a, a different different place where things are stored or, or processed or run as opposed to another cloud. I guess. Which is where IT in general is going to go. This is what, to me, what you just opened up is we're, we're getting to a point where it's not multi-cloud, it's just IT. <laughs> I, right. yep. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like the idea that we we think of AWS as this ubiquitous thing and, and, and GCP and Azure, like we've had that in data centers where there's different hardware from different hardware vendors, <laughs> the different yep. APIs and different touch points and all these different things. It's really just a hodgepodge of different API endpoints. 
Yeah. One of the differences to me is that the networking has been relatively, even if it's different switches, networking is relatively homogenous in, in that scenario. And I, maybe I'm, maybe people see it differently. I don't see cloud networking as homogenous. I guess it's still IP. It's still connect point A to point B. But yeah, I mean, there's different constructs similar to to the data center where each vendor has a different flavor of something to a degree. Now it's not as as stark. I think a difference in most cases in terms of what people are willing to adopt. Plus, most people I think would be inclined to adopt networking hardware from the same vendor because of that reason. Yeah. Well, and this is where software-defined networking should that the, be. That was the dream. <laughs> it's a dream. No, <laughs> that it, was the dream. And ten years <laughs> in, we're still struggling on this software-defined networking. Um. Yeah. Uh, you know, cloud networking, uh, data gravity. We have data, data gravity because we can't solve moving data around at the speed we need. And that's always been the case. Data grows faster than uh, transmission rates. And part of multi-cloud solution, well, part of multi-cloud is because where is your data? So you have to be able to move to where your data is. So data is kind of the gold store of everything. You have to go where the gold is stored to do your work. Yeah. Now, if data could move quickly, if we had a network solution to get data across as fast as you could actually operate on the data, then it would you wouldn't need multi-cloud. You just need multi-data store. <laughs> well, I think some of this is just plain commercial. It's not even a matter of of the of the time or the size of the pipes. It's a it's a it's how the we've monetized movement of data. Mm-hmm. Right, because well, you could end up with a very very expensive solution where if you just you know put all put all of your data in AWS and then realized you had to egress it to analyze it or even egress it between some of the services. Not all not all e- internal egress is free. Right, but sometimes uh, the the whole old motto of time is money. So when I was at Hal, one of the issues we had was literally moving the VHDL uh, design files between Japan Mm -hmm. and California because the files had gotten to uh, like 64 gig for a file. And at the time, transmitting 64 gig to Japan took you longer than it would take for Japan to be able to look at the file, modify it, and send it back. <laughs> so right. you couldn't send it back. You couldn't send it to Japan, get get their input and get it back in the time frame necessary to build to design the chips. So then having AWS and access and the data gravity and having the tools there to do it, but Hal wouldn't do it and neither would Fujitsu because that's putting all the, uh, the, 
the corporate secrets out in the open, essentially. Hmm. So, and I suspect that there are a number of companies that would never consider using AWS because uh, what the what would need to be out there would be the company secrets, and they wouldn't do that. Wow, what a great conversation. Uh, I learn a ton talking to James, and it really shapes how I think about designing systems and the systems that I use on an everyday basis. I hope it got you thinking, too, about how we can build better systems. And as always, we want you to be part of these conversations. Please join us at the 2030.cloud. Get your questions in, bring in your voice, bring in your experience. Um, this is one of those things where somebody like James showing up on a call and, and you know, sort of giving his insights and sharing that is exactly the most powerful thing that we see uh, in these conversations. And it needs everybody's input to work. I'll see you there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.